0: Live from the Hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Arya Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel.
1: Shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Land of Israel Fellowship. So nice to see you all. Oh, there's a lot going on in Israel, a lot going on. And I don't think that Israel has ever felt this alone. And coming here together and seeing that there are people from so many countries that stand shoulder to shoulder with us. And I see their faces and I see their eyes. And I know that throughout all of our history, it's been David against Goliath or a small group of Maccabees against the Greek empire or David's mighty men or Gideon's men. And I always knew, and that's the setup, really. But then actually seeing the army before me is absolutely encouraging to know that we stand here together, shoulder to shoulder through all of this. But um, there is a reality that's undeniable. The masks are being taken off. The White House is going for the jugular on Israel. That's pretty clear. The Times of Israel just published that President Joe Biden will be pushing for a Palestinian state as a part of a new doctrine. So in comes October 7th. They kill us. They burn us. They kidnap us. They try to kill us. And the reward is America will now declare a Palestinian state. That is insane. And at the same time, the White House just put out this paper. Sanctions on Jews living in Judea and Samaria, the executive order imposing certain sanctions on persons, undermining peace, security, and stability in the West Bank. So they're now targeting people, organizations that are supporting Jews living in Judea. The White House is now really going for the jugular. Think about the Hamas leadership in London, in Turkey, and Qatar. They're billionaires. That's fine. Removing sanctions from Iran. Sanctions on Jews living in Judea and those who support them. That's really where America's aim should be at. I think they found the enemy. And so Israel is standing alone. The masks have been taken off. Um, And it's time because Israel turned the United States into an idol for years. All of our idols need to be broken. And if we can't break them, They'll be broken for us. And it's like, as we look to the mountains, from where will our salvation come? Not from Washington. That's becoming clear. (laughs) And so Israel's being forced to grow into our own, to mature, to become a, a nation and a country, the nation and country we were destined to be, a country that stands alone. And it's a country, ultimately, that stands with God. And so as we're now kind of looking to our right and looking to our left and seeing, you know, there was an insanity that sort of went throughout Europe. But now we see that these pro-Hamas protests, they're all over the world. It's an infection that's actually spread everywhere and everyone's intimidated. And so the Jews have to stand alone, which is really the setup that we've all been waiting for, at least I've been waiting for. And I get a lot of strength From the soldiers that are in israel now there's something that's happening there that is supernatural i don't know how else to define it other than something that is beyond the normal beyond the natural so i have a dear friend um he lives right on the farm and he is the head of a tank battalion he has 20 tanks under him and his unit is in the front lines of all of the battles that have been in gaza There's a hundred days he didn't leave Gaza. He was just fighting from morning until night, no end. And all of the soldiers in their units made little videos for their wives that they have left behind or their girlfriends. And each one said, sort of, Oh, don't worry, dear. I'm gonna buy you a new car that you wanted. We're gonna come home. We're all gonna go on vacation. Each person said their own cute little thing that they wanted to say to their wife. And my dear friend. He, very underspoken, he's a hero of Israel, you know, uh, in charge of 20 tanks, a whole other, I mean, probably 500 soldiers are under his command. And he looked at the camera and he said, Sheli shelach, which in Hebrew means what's mine is yours. And when I heard that, I actually started to cry. <laughs> Because he's operating on such a high level, he realizes that what he is doing for Israel, the merit, the absolute privilege of fighting against the forces of evil and putting his life on the line and commanding all of his soldiers and just the self-sacrifice and the giving of oneself toward God's people, for God's land, for God's country. And he's saying, all that I'm doing, my love. It's it's yours. And the soldiers of Israel are just like no other soldiers. And I wanna talk about this for just a little bit. This is a video of the elite commando police force that rescued people under insane fire on October 7th in kibbutz near Am. Um. Check this out. the video goes on but i just wanted you to sort of have just a clip of that as you hear bullets just whizzing by them i mean when you walk into the fire you transform into something else When bullets are whizzing by you and explosions are happening all around you and you choose to walk into the fire, you become more than a hero. You transcend the self and become a part of the collective soul of Israel. And in that way, you touch the heart of God. And hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel now are walking into the fire and they're all touching the heart of God. They're all transcending themselves. They're all touching on the collective reality of what it is to be Israel. And without us even knowing it, the nation of Israel is being elevated to a level that we've never seen before. There have never been this many soldiers that were enrolled into the army, all fighting at the same time. We're experiencing something that the effects of this army of, excuse me, the effects of this war are going to change israel's history forever because the people of israel are going to be changed forever and so that's not something that's going to ever really be talked about in the news or that you can find articles about but i'm just telling you that i'm meeting the soldiers that are now slowly coming out of gaza and they walk differently they talk differently they see the world differently they've had an encounter with god There's no other way to explain it. But they've all been elevated in their consciousness. And we're all being prepared. The preparation isn't done yet. There's still a journey, I can tell. There's more that we have to go through in order to prepare for the great day. But Israel is one step after another actually being prepared. And so with that, I thought we would all prepare together. And we'll kick off this fellowship maybe with a tefillah b'yachad, with a prayer together. And so when we realize that we have no one to rely on, not the United States and not the United Nations, but really the only one that we can rely on is a kadosh baruch hu, that's not only the direction that our prayers should go, but that should be the core of our being, realizing that we are only here for one reason. We are only here for one purpose. And when Israel finally collectively turns our eyes toward heaven and prays together, that's the moment that we're waiting for. And so for us as a fellowship to take this time and to model that, to pray together from around the world, one people with one heart from one place, may that be the sign of the times we're living in. Hashem, master of the world, our father in heaven. It's the first day of the week and we're here together as a fellowship again. We start off every week dedicating this time to you. Every week we separate this time out and we give it to you. We aim our lives toward you. We pray to align our lives with your truth. Israel is at war now and all of us are praying for absolute victory. May the good overcome the evil. May our brave soldiers be protected. And may those who seek Israel's destruction be destroyed. Hashem, we're we're learning about the revelation at Sinai. We're learning about Matan Torah. We pray for revelation today. Reveal yourself to your nation before the eyes of the world. That's what we're all waiting for. That's what we're all waiting praying for, revelation in our lives. Hashem, bless everyone here today. Bless everyone tuning into this recording. May the ideas we learn penetrate into our hearts and change our lives. May your revelation live inside our hearts every day, and may our collective revelation change Israel forever. Amen. All right, my friends. So I want to kick off the fellowship by introducing my partner in crime. He's here with us. I know that he has something very beautiful to say. We had a beautiful Shabbat together, kind of like learning Torah, listening to Tehillah. And um, before we get it kicked off, I just wanted to kind of give Ari the microphone and let him share what he has to share with us today. And then I'll take it from there. So Ari, you are on.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, That was a beautiful prayer and beautiful words, and it was as optimistic and positive as you could share what can be sometimes it can feel like crippling hypocrisy and negativity that is so unbelievable that this whole constellation of Joe Biden's political interests and his desire to court Arab voters in Michigan is leading him to turning against us personally, personally, in Judea, meaning we're trans anything we have left in the dollar, we are rushing to get it to Israel right now because I'm just waiting to be sanctioned personally from all this. It's so insane that we're the enemy, exactly like you said, we're the enemy with people that are surrounding us that we're shouting in the streets giving out candies as the World Trade Center is falling down and Americans are dying. It's just so insane and so crazy. It has to be divine. And keeping that from our kids has been a real goal of, of ours. And I feel like at a certain age, you shouldn't and you can't. But Dvash is turning four. Baruch Hashem, thank God, may she be healthy. This coming Thursday is her fourth birthday. And we've tried to keep it from our kids. And so Shayna and I today took her on a special day in the Shuk. We took her to downtown Jerusalem in the Shuk. And she's a little farm girl. And to see her eyes in the Shuk, an entire store of spices, a store filled with candy. It was just seeing it through her eyes was one of the most. I I don't have have time to upload the pictures, but we'd spend my entire allotment of time showing you pictures of Devash going through the Shook and her innocence is so beautiful. And, And on the way there, we were driving there and she said, look, look, look at all those faces. Isn't that funny? And I turned, Shannon and I turned to look, and it was a a poster, a massive poster, of all of the faces of those that are still captive in Gaza. She didn't know, and we said, what is that? Why is that funny? She said, it's all these people showing how many faces you can make, and that you can make any face you want. And that's what, and, and I just had to turn away, and I started tearing up and crying. Because just her innocence contrasted by the absolute vicious destruction of everything good and innocent in the world. It was just too much. <clears throat> so we've tried to to shield her, shield our children from all of this. And uh, anyways, we try to, to limit screen time for them. And when they do watch, get screen time, we try to keep it as high a quality as possible, which is easy when you live on a mountaintop and you don't own a television and you have very mediocre internet. And uh, but when they do watch, I love it when they're both snuggling with me and we watch it together. And one of their favorite videos is an old Israeli folk song. And uh, you know, I sang it as a kid when I was growing up. It's probably from the '50s. I don't know when it's from, but it goes like this: It goes Eretz Yisrael shel Yafa v'gam porachat. Here, Tabitha, if you could play it. תישראל שלי יפה ועם פור אחד. מי בנו ומי נטא כלנו ביחד. אני בנותי. ב... want it goes on and i want to cry just jeremy do you want to cry too watching that video it's just so yeah i
1: just want to translate it for everyone that's there
2: yeah i was going to you know my my (laughs) land of israel is beautiful and blossoms birds chirping on every rooftop heralding the holiday it doesn't rhyme in english and so we have a house and we have a tree in the land of Israel, and it's just so sweet, and it's just so pure, and that's like all the Jewish people want. We just want a tree and a house with a bird that's chirping in the land of Israel, and then we're just surrounded by... It's like crazy, you know, just such sweet simplicity and purity and preciousness filled with love and hope and innocence. You know, and as we were watching it, I I just couldn't help but contrast with what, at this very moment, Hamas are showing their kids. Not just some of them, the entire society in Gaza, every day for generations, here it is. actually taken from 12, 15 years ago. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of those very kids were the ones participating in October 7th. And, um, and you know, you also see just like the little baby programming, Big Bird, you actually see Big Bird with a knife saying to kill Jews. Like that, I, I got to get that video. I got to find that video. But there's so many, there's just no shortage, such an abundance because that's all they're interested in. That's all they can think about. That's all they can focus on nothing else no building no birds chirping no trees no rooftop singing nothing all they want to do is butcher and murder and hack and kill and so if we just like take this take a a sobering dispassionate step backwards and try to depersonalize it for a second we can ask why right that's not the hatred of a people that want independence and that's not the hatred of a people that are humiliated by the checkpoints, thats always that always got me. We're in checkpoints all the time. You don't see me being like, ah, there's a line at this checkpoint. I'm going to go murder a kindergarten, right? And the humiliation of the checkpoints. Anyways, there's, there's a much deeper hatred at play here, and I think it's critical that we look at what the sages of Israel teach are among the spiritual roots because it goes back to Abraham and it goes back to Ishmael and Isaac and the jealousy and the resentment there. But it, but it also goes, you know, there, there are other roots from which this hatred comes. And they teach us that we can find the, the roots in this week's Torah portion. It says, what is Mount Sinai? It's from the Talmud. What is Mount Sinai? The mountain that brought enmity, Sinai from Sina, enmity upon the nations of the world. And this statement has really profound implications. So many people say that this is that this is true because the nations are jealous that Hashem gave us the Torah and not them. Now now that that never really sat so well with me for a number of reasons, particularly considering the teaching that some that on some transcendent level we we learned that all the nations were offered the Torah, but based on one reason or another, they refused. they didn't want it. The Bedouins didn't want to not steal, the jihadists didn't want to not murder, there was always someone that didn't want there was something that didn't sit well with them on some transcendent level. This wasn't actually literally offered to them, but it was not compatible with them but they were offered it on some spiritual level others say it's because of the implications the torah brought to the world through us that all of a sudden there was a right and a wrong and a good and a bad and they didn't want that they wanted to be their own gods and when they received the law through us through us bringing that into the world we became the conscience of the world as hitler said and so there's truth to that but but i believe that while there's You know, truth to all of that stuff, the one that speaks to my heart the most is from this week's Torah portion, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you'll obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own treasure among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the people of Israel. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We are directed not only to receive the Torah, but to live it, to implement it. And when we do, then we are to be a kingdom of priests. And what's the biblical understanding of the function of a priest? At the end of every fellowship, that's what we say. What is it? To be an intermediary, to be a conduit, to be a vessel of light and of blessing. That is our role in the cosmos, That is our role in the world. That is the reason we were created. And over the years, I've come to believe that at least a part of the hatred against us is this, like I've said before so many times, this subconscious resentment from within the nations that we are not teaching them and blessing them and being a light to them. Now that does not let them off the hook for the horrific terror and persecution that they have wreaked upon us. But it's our responsibility to own our part. And I believe that that is our responsibility as a people. And that is why Sinai is at the root of all of this. But I want to bring this together with an idea shared by the Magen Avram about this. He points out the verse, and all the people saw the sounds. They saw the sounds. Now, this is usually taken to mean that the trumpets and the thunder and the word of God was so overwhelming and, and powerful and transcendent that you can not only hear it as as you can do with any sounds, but you can actually see the sounds for whatever whatever that means if you can imagine it. And there's truth to that, but the Magen Avraham takes it in a totally different direction. And it really hit me when Jeremy was sharing that beautiful prayer. And I really love it when you do that, Jeremy. It's such an important part of the fellowship that I feel like I don't I haven't, you know, implemented like you have. And I really want to bring that more into this fellowship. But um, when I saw, I was scrolling through your faces and every single one of you, your eyes were closed and your hearts. We were all at that moment during Jeremy leading that prayer. Our hearts were in synchronicity with each other and they were all pointed at the same direction. We all had our hopes and our dreams and our our wishes and our yearnings pointed to Hashem at that one moment. And so what does the Magin Avram say? He says that, that the kolot, you know, all the people saw the sounds. Kolot literally means voices, prayers. And that at that moment, the Israelites were literally able to see the manifestation of their prayers. Because, you know, there are times, there have been times on my journey. There have been times when morning, afternoon, night, I'm praying for Mashiach. I'm praying for redemption. And then I just have this moment This every once in a while, it's like the evil inclination, but it's a real voice. And it comes to me and it's, it's like, It hasn't come yet. My whole life I've been praying and my father before him and his father before him. Is anyone listening? And much like imagine the Israelites in Egypt had the same thought of hundreds of years of prayer. Please, God, redeem us, redeem us. And at that great moment in Sinai, they saw that there was not one word of one prayer that went to waste. It was all heard and it was all received and it was manifest at that moment in Sinai. All of their prayers were brought into life, were manifest as the redemption that they had been praying for. And they experienced the the, uh, illumination and the, the revival of their prayers into this one great redemption before them. And I believe that we have our own great redemption coming, our own Sinai coming. Soon we will see a moment of great redemption where it will become crystal clear that every word of our prayers was received. Every single word reached the throne of glory. And may that day, please, God, please, Hashem, may that day be soon where all of our prayers were able to see who we are and what we are and we're able to assume our role as being a a blessing to the nations and a light and a source of goodness to all the nations from a rebuilt Yerushalayim which will be a capital, the capital of the world, the capital of peace and the capital of godliness for all of mankind. And at that moment, May the hatred that was born at Sinai be transformed to a love unlike anything that the world has ever seen. Amen, my friends. Thank you so much. Sorry, Jeremy, if I took too much time, but it was inspired from you. Back to you, Jeremy. No, absolutely
1: beautiful. Thank you so much, Ari. I, I, it really kind of brings me to the next thing. Like, what is the next step? Like, on one hand, we trust in Hashem and believe that he's guiding history, he's guiding Israel toward our destiny. But at the same time, We have the power to choose. We have the power to aim our prayers and then follow through our prayers to participate in this process. Meaning it's one thing to have a child that's sick. And of course you should pray for healing, but then you should probably take some antibiotics if they have an infection and you should go to the doctor if you need to. And if you break your arm, you can pray for healing, but good to put it into a cast. And at the same time, it's like, well, we have to pray for redemption. We have to pray for Mashiach. But at the same time, we have the power to choose and to participate in the process. And I think everyone's asking, what needs to actually be done in Gaza now? Meaning we can pray for God to save us, but what are the actual practical steps that Israel should take now? Meaning if we were aligning ourselves with our prayers and saying, this is what would be the greatest sanctification of God's name. This would be the elevation of it all. What's the next step? Should we let an international force come in and rule over Gaza? Maybe a local Arab leadership and hope that they don't turn jihadi on us? These are the different ideas that are being thrown out there. Should we annex half of Gaza, northern Gaza, and assert Israeli control over the territory we already conquered? And so everyone sort of, throwing out all these ideas. And to me, Israel's sovereignty in the land of Israel is the testimony of God's sovereignty over the world. That's why we're here. And if that's true, then Israel immediately needs to declare sovereignty over the Gaza Strip. Right now, Israel needs to take full control and responsibility of the Gaza Strip. That's it. We disengaged from Gaza. We gave the Gazans an opportunity to live alongside Israel in peace, which was a mistake. Israel and the world invested billions of dollars to help them build a beautiful, prosperous society. Instead, they chose to become genocidal jihadists and used every collective resource to destroy Israel. Now Israel is reclaiming its land. No other foreign entity should rule there. Israel should rule there. Injustice will be done with the people of Gaza. Those who want to leave, Israel can help them find a new country to immigrate to. And if those who choose to unconditionally surrender and pledge allegiance to Israel, they can stay and go through a long process of becoming a part of the nation of Israel. Those that don't want to leave and do not surrender and do not want to live in peace, they need to be eliminated or removed. That's it. And in some ways, Gaza now is an opportunity to create a policy and a template of dealing with the rest of the land of Israel. It would be too much for Israel to do it all at once, like the Lebanon and Judea and Samaria. And it's like God gave us an opportunity now. It's like a small bite-sized opportunity that we can actually fix the problem at the root, to uproot the darkness and resettle it with Jewish communities and resettle it with light to replace. It's one thing to uproot the darkness, but then we have to take out the darkness and we have to replace it with the light. And to me, that is the next move. As the Biden administration is talking about declaring a Palestinian state, (laughs) Israel should, that's it. Sorry. We are the sovereigns over God's land. We are the custodians. This is our land and we are now sovereign over it. And so, you know, I keep on turning to the media all the time you know, I always want to know what's going on. I want to be tuned in. And sometimes you have to read between the lines. And you can see that almost all the media outlets right now, they're aligned with the same wrong message. (laughs) It's like Israel must defeat Hamas, the war against Hamas. And I'm sorry, but that's really just the wrong message. That's not the right idea. Israel is not at war with an organization called Hamas. I made this video on my way to Jerusalem after listening to the news. And I want to make sure uh, that you see it. And then we're going to go deeper. Check this out. Hey friends, this is Jeremy Gimpel from the Arugot Farm. I'm just driving in Jerusalem right now and I've been listening to the news and I hear over and over again, we have to obliterate the Hamas, we have to destroy the Hamas, we have to topple the Hamas government and I feel like the world is really missing the mark here. This isn't really about the Hamas government, this is about the Gazan society. Check out this video from the IDF released just a few days ago.
0: The tunnel entrance was bigger than any entrance I've seen before. Two months into the war we revealed that tunnel. Although it has standard Hamas architecture, cement walls and arches on the ceiling, wiring on the side and tubes for air conditioning, it is bigger than anything we've seen. I was going down that tunnel just not comprehending the sheer size of it. This is why the IDF keeps operating inside Gaza because this is not the only tunnel. There are more there are kilometers of underground tunnels, all throughout
1: Gaza. When you realize the amount of money and effort and years that went into tunnels that are twice as large as the London Underground, you realize this was a collective national effort. It's not like there's a little terror organization. No, this was done by the people of Gaza, supported by the people of Gaza. And look at this. Hamas schools, Hamas mosques, Hamas television, the children have been indoctrinated in such a powerful way that society has lost its right to exist. Every single hostage that has been released from the hands of the Hamas told us they weren't being held by the Hamas. They were being held by families in Gaza, because it's the families in Gaza that elected the Hamas. It's the families in Gaza that supported the Hamas until October 7th and until today. Everything that's done in Gaza is done collectively, and that's why collectively, as a society, Gaza has lost its right to exist. It needs to be destroyed, disband they need to be dispersed and gaza as a society can never exist ever again amen brother <laughs> and so here's what i'm saying how then we look at that and it's i mean to i mean when you read the bible you read the torah i mean it's obvious that nations come under judgment not just individuals and sometimes if a nation veers from the path of righteousness Everyone in that nation is going to suffer. And so how do we judge Gaza? What is the moral approach to win a war with this other people? And you look at Gaza, and it has failed as a society in a way that no other society has failed on earth in 2024. It's just created a society that manifested and celebrated the most evil, heinous acts anyone has seen in our lifetime. We almost forget, you know, they beheaded children and tortured innocent people. They burned people alive. It was like the most horrific demonic behavior. And they filmed it and broadcast it, celebrating it for the world to see as they chanted how great their God is. And so in the Torah, nations are judged as a society, not only as individuals. You are personally responsible as a part of your country. And so nations are blessed and cursed and individuals are a part of that faith. And so when a society produces absolute evil, that society needs to be dispersed. The first example of people coming together to create a society and the society turns to evil is the first city in the, di- in the Bible, the Tower of Babel. With all their resources, what did they do? Instead of building tunnels, they built a tower and waged war against God. War against the good. And then what did God do? He said, I'm sorry, this society, it's lost its right to exist. He came down and he dispersed them, separating them and scattered them all over the world. Gaza should be absolutely no different. Sdom and Amorah, those societies lost their right to exist. That was just hail fire from heaven and they were just deleted. So we look at what's happening right now and it looks like Israel right now is sort of wavering, Crumbling under the American pressure, and a process is happening here. It's a maturing process for Israel, undoubtedly. It's like removing the sanctions from Iran, sanctioning the Jews in Judea, pushing for a Palestinian state after October 7th. It's like, whoa, I sense it. People in Israel are for the first time genuinely afraid of the United States. There's a hostage situation in Israel, but I'm not talking about the hostages in Gaza. America is actually holding Israel hostage right now. They are tying our hands behind our back, allowing the Hamas to return to strongholds in Gaza, forcing Israel to supply the Hamas in Gaza, and not letting us win. And at the same time, they're not letting the Gazans who want to leave, flee. So they've literally checkmated Israel into losing. In the current scenario, with, with America and Israel sort of Israel strong-arming, America strong-arming Israel into its, I guess, into its own interest, we've lost it. And so for the secular Zionist in Israel, this is their worst nightmare. I mean, they raise their eyes to the mountains and their salvation comes from Washington. And now it's hard to not see that President Biden has interests. And it seems as though if at this point he feels he needs to appease Iran or support his leftist Muslim base in America, he will throw Israel under the bus and without hesitation. And Israel is now left alone. And so there are two modes of operating in the world. And it's almost like there's leaving Egypt and then there's the Sinai moment and then there's going into the land of Israel. And the two modes of operating, the sages of Israel defined these states of mind as Yira and ahava, which I think for our purposes, the best definition of those states of mind are fear and desire. And so fear is like, let's just get out of Egypt. We got to get out of Egypt. They're going to kill us. They're going to throw our children into the water. Let's run. And then at Sinai, we received revelation and we're like oh we were chosen and the land was chosen and we were chosen to inherit that land and now that that that's a that's a a destiny-based purpose-driven mission it's not running away from egypt it's running to israel fear and desire you know we can talk about it on a personal level and we can apply the same idea on a national level let's say on a personal level. You're a child. You're in school. Your report card is coming. So you are working because you don't want to get a bad grade. You're working because you're scared about, what if I don't get into college? Or what if I'm in college and I don't get that internship? And when I'm in my internship, what happens if I don't get the job? And it's like, wait a minute. You're, you spend your whole life operating from a place of fear. Or there's another way, another mode of operating, desire Ava. Uh, you love what you're learning. You're passionate about the subject. You find meaning in the work that you're doing. You believe in it. You see it's making the world a better place. It's making your life better. A decision that you make in a relationship, a decision that you make in life on an investment, it doesn't matter, it's on every aspect of life. A decision made out of fear will take you to one place and a decision made out of desire will take you to a totally different place. It's a different reality and all depends upon the state of mind Are you in a state of Yira, of fear? Or are you in a state of Ava, a state of desire? And Israel, on a national level, has been operating entirely out of fear for 75 years. We are the Holocaust and the exile, and we have to find security, and we have to get away from the non-Jews, and we have to build a safe haven. And it's like an an entire society that was literally built out of fear. And then in comes October 7th. It's like you thought that you could run away from your fears inside the land of Israel. That's not going to work. That is not going to work. And now is the time that we have to transition. We have to transition in our lives. We have to transition on a national level. We need a vision for the future that inspires A vision that we want, a vision so beautiful that we want to dedicate our lives toward that vision. It's like we've been running out of Egypt, running out of Egypt, and now we're saying, God, give us a revelation so we can now march toward the promised land. But here's the thing. How do you get a vision? It's not something that you can figure out like a puzzle or like a math equation. A vision, in many ways, is something that's given to you. You're graced with a vision you have to open yourself up to receive revelation and so that means that you need to sort of you know it's like that, what do they circumcise our hearts it's like opening our hearts to receive a message and in many ways that's the essence of what the shema is why is the ultimate climactic verse in the torah shema yisrael hashem eloheinu hashem echad Hear, O israel hashem is our god hashem is one It's saying here, it's like we're asking to open our ears and listen, be open so our hearts can receive the message, to see the vision. And then look at what happens. We come to this week's Parsha, and what do we see? In perfect timing, this is how the Parsha starts off. And now Moses' father-in-law, Itro, the Kohen of Midian, the priest of Midian, heard all that god had done for moses and for israel Vaishma itro and and he heard all that had done for his people the lord had taken israel out of egypt so the the parsha starts with itro hearing and a question needs to be asked here why is that a relevant part of the story i mean the entire torah in some ways Mount Sinai is the climax. It's like everything is building toward that, ah, the Sinai moment. And then it's like, well, we always we make our way to Israel, and then we like stop right at the border. But that's almost like the 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 climax of the story. The most significant event in Jewish history in world history, arguably, was Mount Sinai. And if I were to tell the story, I don't know if the preface to the story would be like. Oh, and Moses' father-in-law heard about what happened, and he takes his daughter and he takes Moses' children, and they why is that the preface to that story? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's not like a good way build up to the most important event in all of our history. And I think that the answer is that Etro listened. He heard what had happened. And imagine what that looked like. He walked off into the desert. Have you ever walked into the desert looking for a nation that's randomly walking through the desert? That's not a simple journey. He was one of the high priests of Midian. And it affected him so much that he changed his life based on what he heard. And so what the Torah is saying is, I'm about to give you the Torah. I'm going to give you the law now. But the basis of that, the foundation of that, I'm telling you, you have to listen before you learn the law. You have to live a life that's open and always listening to God in your life. If you're not listening and you're just following the law, you will never make it to the promised land. So the story before the revelation of the law is the story, an example of not a Jew, of a non-Jew, of Jethro, a Kohen, from another place that transcends religion, that transcends nationality, that transcends languages. The foundation is saying, listen, be open in your life to the messages, to the spice carts, to the living spirit of God that speaks to us all of the time. Then you can receive the 10 commandments. Then you can receive the pathway. But listening is the beginning. And so with that foundation I want to take it to another level because Tahila has such a beautiful idea here that you know it's like I've read the Torah portion my whole life and then somehow Tahila is able to pull out new understandings and new insights all the time. And so I think that that base understanding she really explains how Jethro how Yitro was listening. And so check this out from Tahila, our scholar in residence.
0: Hi, everyone. So we always know and talk about how the Torah portions seem to speak to whatever we need to hear right when we need to hear it. Now, in this past week's portion, we hear about the revelation at Mount Sinai, but before the portion gets to that, there's this story of Yitro, of Jethro. A lot of people try to figure out why do we need to hear about his judicial reform that he's teaching Moshe before receiving the Torah. But I want to go... A step back and ask an even earlier question. The portion starts by telling us that Yitro brings back Zipporah and Moshe's sons Gerashim and Eliezer. Now there are a bunch of weird things here. First of all, we didn't even know they ever left. Last we saw them was in the hotel on the way back to Egypt, so apparently we're finding out now they left at some point. And then the, ter- the Torah tells us not only their names, but goes to the trouble of mentioning the meaning and reason behind their names which is both repetitive in the case of Moshe's older son because we already knew the reason for his name and it's also seemingly out of place usually names are explained at birth it seems superfluous now as well like why are their names even important to tell us that they brought them we could just say brought Moshe's sons I think that to understand this, you have to try for a moment to get into the mindset of the family drama that's going on here. When Moshe leaves his father-in-law, he doesn't tell him the full story. Honestly, we don't know if he ever gave him a full story about the reasons that he ended up in Midian to begin with. He just says to Yitro, I want to go back to Egypt and check on my brothers, see how they're doing. Now, at some point, Zipporah goes back to her parents' house and takes the kids with her. Now, imagine what kind of conversation was happening between Sipporah and her dad it's like oh you remember Moshe so he heard God it turns out and uh he wants to go to Pharaoh he thinks he's gonna bring down the world's most powerful empire and save the Jews oh yeah what do you think Yitro is thinking my son-in-law is a family is is a mental patient he I'm gonna have to raise my grandsons as my own children that's like the likely scenario right you can then imagine just like this sad family tragedy and he's raising these children and one day he sits with the newspaper in the morning and he sees Moses leads Jews out of Egypt you know Pharaoh dies at sea and now imagine he's sitting there and he's looking down at these two grandsons sitting on his lap one is named Gershom which means stranger in a strange land and one is named Eliezer which means God saved me from the hands of Pharaoh now he's looking down at these boys if you had to put the entire exodus story in a nutshell it basically is we were strangers in a strange land and hashem saved us from the hands of Pharaoh. he's looking down at these little grandsons named i was a stranger in a strange land and hashem saved me from faro pharaoh and then these are stories that like we tell and retell through every generation hashem we were strangers in a strange land, so we have to be kind to strangers. Hashem saved us from the hands of Pharaoh, so we have countless reminders and garments and holidays and Shabbat to remind us that Hashem saved us from Pharaoh. So he's looking down to these grandsons and he sees in them that he is, you know, these children that he was raising as like patriotic Midianites are actually part of a grand historic story of Jewish redemption. And suddenly he realizes, Uh, You know, maybe they have a good life here in Midian. They can pretend to be Midianites, they can try to fit in, but they can't really escape that they're not just individuals, but part of something larger now what is marvelous about the torah and jewish destiny is that every person lives and relives and in their life every part of the torah in our own personal lives we all have moments of slavery feeling foreign feeling strange and moments where hashem lifts us out and we feel like we were saved the torah every single story in the torah is applicable to every person as a microcosm of the greater story inside their own personal life just like every cell in your body you know, has the DNA of the entire body. It functions on its own, but it's also, it has everything encoded like in the DNA inside of it, but it's also part of this larger body. And so Yitro comes and says, these guys can't keep growing up in Midian. They are part of the Jewish story. Yeah, maybe the Jewish story isn't perfect. You know, Maybe those Jews can use some tweaking of their legal system, but he realizes where his grandsons belong and he steps out and returns them. And the Torah is telling this to us, because you cannot live your life completely without attaching yourself to the Jewish story as it unfolds. If you are a Jew, you cannot be separate from the Jewish story. You know, normally in a war, people run away. In Israel, I think we're probably the only country that in a state of war actually increases demand for Aliyah. The Jewish agency just reported that since the war started, there was a 94% increase for Aliyah requests in America, 147% in Canada, 380% in France, and other places as well what in the world would drive people to run to a war zone with bombs falling and people hiding in shelters why now if you look down at yourself and your children you say am i actually going to sit here and let the story unfold without me the jewish people were strangers in a strange land in auschwitz in iraq in ethiopia in the in, in the soviet union hashem took us out of those strange lands and saved us and brought us to israel and i'm going to sit somewhere else now, what's interesting is that useful doesn't just put them on a train and send them, by watching the Jewish story, he as a Gentile is also inspired. He is inspired to question the idolatrous teachings that he grew up with. He starts asking questions and he finds a way to attach himself to help the Jewish people, to enrich them with his knowledge and his life experience and to give to them. And we know that in later generations, the traditions tell us that Yael will come from him and save the Jews from Sisera entirely. So he is able to then also stand up alongside the Jewish people and make Uh, mark for us in our history. So when we look at this beginning of the Parsha of Yitro, it's not a distraction from the redemption process. It seems like it's, you know, we have leaving Egypt and then we should go straight to getting the Torah. It's not a distraction. It's not like the Torah lost track of time and just got off, you know, went off on a tangent. The Torah is telling us that an integral part of the redemption process that will repeat itself in future generations that we need to know for future generations an integral part of that is that people who at one time felt that they were just separate individuals living comfortably wherever they are are going to see the Jewish story look down at themselves and see that they are part of a larger story and cannot continue to be separate from that and that is something that we that the Torah makes sure that we need to know before we can actually come to Har Sinai and have the completion of this process of really leaving Egypt and becoming the Jewish people there needs to be this rejoining of everyone together and everyone realizing that they cannot be separate from the most incredible story ever told so with that, I wish us all a good week of living out the Torah in our own personal lives and joining our lives to the greater miracle that is the redemption of Amisal.
1: Bye, guys. Thank you, Tehillah. And so the story that's unfolding, the story really unfolded at Sinai. Sinai was the moment. Sinai was the turning point that set human history in a totally different direction. I mean, imagine a world where everyone isn't a part of the same religion, but every single human was committed to living by the Ten Commandments. If we really let that sink in, what our world would look like, that would be the key that would unlock the future. The world would understand that we have one world, we have one God, and we're all brothers and sisters. The Ten Commandments, if we lived by them, We could defund the police. We wouldn't need an army anymore. If we just received that light that was given to us at Sinai, that's not a religion. It would just be a code of living. And the truth is, those 10 commandments were given to Israel at Sinai. They were a gift that we were mandated to bring to the world, to bring a God consciousness to the world. And when Ari quotes that Midrash that says that at Sinai was the beginning of the Sin'a, at Sinai was the beginning of the hatred of Israel, I believe that hatred is rooted in the fact that we haven't brought the light yet. The world is waiting for us to bring the light, and Israel has been so focused on surviving, so driven out of fear, we haven't yet transitioned yet into the desire of wanting to bring that light into the world. And so when I think about this process, in some ways, everything in Israel revolves around this. And if you don't understand this, then you can't understand about anything that's happening in Israel. You know, I was invited to speak at the Sovereignty Conference, and that video went so viral because I was the only one in the conference that said, hey, guys, we really need to bring God back into this conversation. But it's more than that. We need to understand what's at the crux of all of it. It's the axis that everything else spins on. And in some ways, the entire of world history spins around this concept. Finally, what happened at Sinai needs to spread out around the world, that the nations will know that Hashem is God. On that day, he will be one and his name will be one. How will they know? When the promise, the foundational covenant with Abraham is fulfilled, and the people of Israel become a sovereign nation in the land God gave them. That's the international testimony. There's only one claim that the Jewish people have to living in the land of Israel that really holds water. It's like, no, no, but we need a safe haven for Jews. It's like, why would the Jews needing a night shelter against anti-Semitism justify taking land away from someone else it's like no no no. well we need a state because of the holocaust it's like no why would a tragedy in europe give you a right to cause someone else harm somewhere else it's like well uh, when it's our homeland it's like well if you say it's our homeland well so a made-up people can claim no no it's their homeland And, and if an ancient roman tribe Uh, was discovered in Africa and went to the Vatican and said, hey, Rome, this is our homeland. The Vatican wouldn't leave because of that. That's just not going to hold water. And so America, that's where America and the United Nations, they declared that the Jews have a right to a state of their own. And so now when Biden is thinking about declaring a Palestinian state, does that now make it right? Because the United Nations say that it's right. Our only claim, the only one that matters The only one that the world is waiting for us to say is that God created the world. He chose us as a people and he gave us this land. There is no other people in the world that God gave a land to. That's why we're here. That's why the Arabs do not belong here. They are squatters on the land that God gave the children of Israel. And the world stage is being set for this final showdown. This map is all over social media and it's a powerful presentation. This is the map of the Muslim world, all that green that you see around there. And as they're continuing to spread and that little red thing there, that's Israel. And so when they chant from the river to the sea, what they're actually saying is from the river to the sea, when we finally just wipe out that little red dot, we will complete the Islamic conquest colonization of the region and then onward to Europe, onward to America, and world domination. And here the Jews are here to say, God chose a particular people. He gave them a very specific land and established his covenant with them that in this particular land, they will build a country worthy of being a resting place for God's presence in the world. That is the international revelation of God's existence and sovereignty in the world. All the forces are aligning up against Israel and it's all a setup. It's a gift that Israel is actually about to give the world. The land of Israel is the testimony of the truth of the living God of Israel and the world is about to experience the full revelation. You see, the seal of God is truth. And the world has all but destroyed truth from the world. You can't even say a boy is a boy anymore because there is no truth. Truth is what you want it to be. Truth is what you believe it to be. Well, I want to sculpt my idol and I believe it's a God and that's my truth. And it's my truth that I worship. There is no good. There is no evil. Hamas is not evil. The protest, the new sign, by any means necessary. Think about that by any means necessary, October 7th, raping, beheading children, torturing innocent people, burning them alive. There's no evil. They're resisting the occupation. Who are you to say what good and what evil are? That's what this war is all about. That's why it's an attack against God's people, because we are the representatives of God's truth on earth. And as long as that red is right there, and soon it will begin to expand, then we will be a testimony of the truth. And that's why in Zechariah, what does he call Jerusalem? This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. That's what this is all about. The enemies know it. That's why they call it the flood of Al-Aqsa, the flood of the Temple Mount. That flood was unholiness, was evil, unleashed on the world. The flood of unholiness. And then God says, no, no, no. Jerusalem is my city of truth. And that mountain will be called my holy mountain. And so now what's happening you know, Anita in our fellowship right beforehand was saying Norway has been one of the most anti Israel, anti kind of God countries out there, but there's an awakening happening in Norway. And that's so exciting for me to hear. More and more people are joining now the side of Israel, the side of truth, the side of good, the side of God. And the promise is that those who bless Israel will be blessed because the side of the enemies of Israel is an affront to God and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And so my dear friends, the stage is being set for the ultimate revelation, for the world to know and to see with their own eyes how God chose a people, guarded and watched after them throughout all of their history, brought them back to their land, and slowly but surely against all odds, alone against the western world, the eastern world, the United Nations, single-handedly, with God as our power, going to build Israel again. And so from this place, for all of those that have decided to align themselves with the destiny of Israel, to side with the God of Israel, I want to bless you. Bless you from this place, because I believe that this journey is not going to be an easy one. Nothing in life worthwhile has ever been easy. But the train has left the station. The destination is paradise, and nothing can stop Israel. So those who bless Israel should be blessed, and all of you are such a blessing to us. And so may you be blessed from this place. Adonai Ya'er Adonai panav Adonai panav shalom. shalom, my friends. See you again soon. Oh, I do have one more announcement to make. I've, I've said it before, but now it's getting serious. I'm starting to broadcast now. And I've broadcast on two platforms. And I want to invite you to join either one or both of them. One is Twitter. I'm just trusting that of all the other platforms... That one seems to be the one that is like seemingly free. So I'm like news is happening. And it's just, I'm just starting to put out messages of truth on that platform. And the more people that join, then those can be spread and let the truth be spread. And the second one, Ari and I are making videos now all the time and putting them out on WhatsApp. That's like, in case one gets shut down, we have the other. (laughs) And so we just never know what time we're gonna get sanctioned or shut down. But in the meantime, Those are the two platforms. And just in the last, I don't know, I've Twittered now for maybe a month, just kind of testing it out. And uh, we're almost at 4,000 Twitter followers on Jeremy Gimpel. So that's kind of exciting. And I just feel like that is um, a microphone that is growing and influence is spreading. And so that's a place to meet us online in between these fellowship gatherings. So if you want to join us on Twitter or on WhatsApp, of course, you're invited. So thank you all for joining us as always. We love you and we'll see you again. Shalom.
2: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the Land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.